Hi, this is Blake Andrews, lead pastor at Victory World Outreach, Denton, Texas. This is our podcast, and we're so glad that you came to check it out today. I hope this message encourages you and inspires you to do great things for God. Service of the week. This is the service where we don't come because it's Sunday. We come because we want to come. Amen. And uh, I, I just have a question for us tonight as we get into the message that I want everybody to answer. Does anybody in here still believe that there's nobody that can't change? Right? Do you, let me say that different. Do you believe anybody can change? So, that wasn't a trick question. I just said it wrong. Okay? <laughs> Is there any situation God can't move in? Any marriage God can't restore? Any person God can't transform? Right? I just want to make sure I'm in the right place tonight. We still believe that? Now, you don't have to participate, but if you want to, I'll, I would love it. But we have to brag on God. And I want everybody in here to understand what God has done. And if we could take the time to pass this microphone around. How many know a lot of times when you see someone, including, just to say this, when you see my son-in-law do the opening tonight, most of you don't know what my son-in-law has been through. Most of you don't know his past. Some do. When you see someone up here giving a testimony, when you see somebody, we heard one on Sunday, when you see someone doing a ministry in the church, you don't know their testimony. Totally. We have some on, on YouTube. We've, we've, we've heard bits and pieces. But if we could see tonight the things that God has delivered people from, it would encourage us to continue to believe that there's nobody that can't change. Amen? If you've ever, amen, if you've ever been in this place and you've had a problem drinking, stand up. Stand up. You have had a, I'm not talking about one time. I mean, you had a problem. Look around. Okay. Go ahead and sit back down. Now, I know some of you might stand back up again for the next one. I'm just, how many have ever had problems with drugs? Okay. Look around. Not to embarrass us, to tell us, look what God has done. Okay. Go ahead and sit down. How many of you have been in jail? What? Some of you are like, I just stay standing. <laughs> Amen? Look around. Look what God has done. Amen? How many have, go ahead and sit down. You're like, I'm just going to stay up. I know you won't have this one. How many have ever had marital problems? Honest people, right? Hey, what you doing standing up over there? Oh, okay. Man. <laughs> Praise God. You can be seated. Y'all get where I'm going, right? And we could go on and on. There's things I haven't mentioned. There's, there's just crazy, I mean, just on and on. The, 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 we got to remember, that's why we're here. That's why the church is open. So I met, I met a guy today, ministered to him, homeless, on drugs, you know, uh, sex offender, all down the down the road, no hope. I invited him to church. I said, I, "I'm we're a hospital. Come to church tonight." I don't see him. He may be here. I don't. But but that I told him, "There's hope for you." And and I literally changed my message today. I had a different message planned, and I just want to preach tonight. There's always hope. Let me believe that. There's always hope. As long as you want, if you want to write this down, as long as you have got breath in your lungs, there's hope. When the breath stops, 
That's where the hope ends. And so we have to make some changes before the breath stops. When a person breathes their last breath, it's over. Uh, not to spend too much time on that, there's nothing that can be done. I, I, I don't want to be mean or rude or sad or anything, but when someone goes on out of this life and it's over, it's over. They're either ready to meet God as a Savior or they're ready to meet God as a judge. But until we breathe our last breath, there's hope. And we need to let people know that. We need to remind ourselves of that because sometimes and many times, and I'm going to give a really good example tonight, we're in a bad situation and it seems, especially when you're in the situation, like there's no hope. Now, 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 if you have ever felt that way, stand up. You've ever felt in your life there's no hope. I'm standing, okay? I'll have to sit down and stand back up. I have been in situations where I thought I'd rather just be dead, right? So look around, okay? So you can be seated. You're in good company. That's what the church is for. Now, if you didn't stand up, praise God. Praise God that you've never felt that way, never been in that position. Praise God. There's no promise you won't ever be in that position. But the good news is when we get in that position, there's a way out. There's hope. There's always hope. We need to look at every situation. Sometimes you might meet somebody. I mean, meeting this guy today, in, in, a, in a worldly sense, there's not much hope for this guy. He's addicted to drugs. He doesn't have a job. He's homeless. He's He's, uh, he's a registered sex offender. He's, I don't, all the, I mean, he told me all this stuff and told me, I mean, he, he's, the, God just spoke through him. I don't have any hope. So I don't know what to do. What do you tell somebody like that other than God can do it? You know what I told him? God can change your life. I, I, I creeped, I put down my arms down on his car and got down right where he was and smelt the marijuana on him and smelt the drugs and talked to him and said, there's hope. There's hope for you. I can't change you, but God can. And so we have to realize that for ourselves. We have to realize that for other people. We need to realize that when rough people come to our church and, and we have a struggle with somebody or, or, or somebody acts a certain way or somebody comes and leaves or whatever, that's why we're here. Does anybody believe or still believe we're a hospital? I told that man today, I pointed at the sign in the back park and I said, this is a hospital. If you're going to a hospital, you might need an IV, you might need a Band-Aid, you might need a surgery, you might need whatever, and the hospital has to take care of you. Hospitals don't turn people away. How many are thankful that we didn't turn you away when you came? That God didn't turn you away when you came? Because all of you that stood up tonight, you came in that way. And now you're not that way, thank God. God's changed you. But if the church would have been too snooty and too high up and, and thinking that that's not what we're here for and being a social club, then you'd never change. But God can change anybody. And, and we got to be reminded of that and, and, and ourselves never lose hope and realize we're not going to change the name of our church, but this is a hope center. This is a hospital. And everyone's welcome. And we, and, and we can help you change if you just give God a chance. Amen? Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know when you get sick is when you have no hope. You, when you have no way of getting out of your, or you feel like, how many know, by the way, you, there always is a way out? Why suicide is so high, I don't have the stats tonight, but why suicide is so high is because that person gets to a place where they see no out. And that's a lie. There's, no matter how dire the situation seems, there's always an out. There's always now, but when you're in that situation, the, the molehill, as they say, becomes a mountain. 
The little situation that you're looking at is big and beyond big. And, and people get to a place where they do the most selfish, horrible thing they could ever do. They think, I'm going to end my life right now. I'm going I'm to take my life. I can't do this anymore. And then, unfortunately, church, they wake up in eternity on the other side with absolutely no hope. Now, I'm not talking about somebody who's known the Lord I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to paint that gray area tonight of someone who's known the Lord and, 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 and had, a, had, you know, had a bad situation and then took their life and we wonder if they're in heaven or hell. That, that God knows that. I hope to God they are. I hope his mercy is, is, is enough. I'm talking about people who don't know the Lord and they take their life and then if they could come back, man, they'd all come back. They'd think, this, that wasn't that bad. Now I'm in eternity. So church, we got to realize it's serious business because people are going into eternity every day, not just dying of a heart attack, but dying because they don't have any hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. In other words, when, when you see the, the hope become hopeful, when you see the situation turn, it becomes a tree of life. How many of you in here tonight, when you stood up for any of those things, and now you stood up even saying, I've, I've had a moment where I didn't have hope, but tonight you could say, now I want to do one more thing. You're here, and you've been through all that stuff, and you have come to see now. doesn't mean you've made it. doesn't mean you've arrived, but you could stand up right now and say, now I know what it is to come out of that situation and be living in hope. I want you to stand up now. If you've come out of that, and you're in that tree of life now, you're seeing. Look around. Look around. Amen? You've come out of it. Praise God. God be the glory. Amen? What are we trying to say? That you can come out of it. Somebody around you needs to know that. Someone might have, one person might have came in here tonight. One person might be watching online that says, I, I have no hope. I'm, they may have a gun in their hands right now. This message might save their life because you stood up. Because they looked around the congregation and saw there's other people who were at their wits end, but they made it. Amen? As long as you have breath in your lungs, there's hope. The definition of hope is to cherish a desire with anticipation. Sometimes we're not talking about hope of, or cherishing a desire of being rich or, or um, famous or any of those big things. Sometimes that cherishing a desire with anticipation is having a job. That simple. Not being sick. Not having marital problems. Right? Just... The simple, everyday things that many people take for, for granted. And it says to want something to happen or to be true. So if we don't believe in hope tonight, we might as well close doors. Because our foundation of our faith is based on hope. Amen? Now I want to look at, the, to me, the best story in the Bible of the person the most lost, that was ever the most lost, and the most far gone, and the most at wit's end, and the most hopeless person, I mean, I, as I'm saying this, I, maybe you'll begin to think. Maybe some names will begin to come into your mind. But I'm going to talk in a moment of what I believe is, was the most desperate person to ever walk the face of this earth who got the most, the, 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 the closest to being at the end and the closest to going into eternity and, and, and made it and had a turnaround in his life, but it, he had no hope. He was in a place where it was beyond hope. Beyond even some of the thing, people we think about in the Bible like Moses and Joseph and Abraham and Ruth and Esther and these big names. Some of you might have had those names in your head. But we're going to go to Luke chapter 23 and we're going to look at the story of a person who had no hope 
But he realized, and he would say today if he had the microphone, there's always hope. Look at what verse 23 says. Sorry, 32. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. How many know the story? And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, Jesus, and the criminals, one on the right hand and one on the left. Just leave that there for just a second. This, this is the picture. You hear me say this a lot. I use this example a lot. It's an amazing example. I use it for different reasons. But we can all, there's no names there, but we can put ourselves there. See, Jesus was in the middle. He was God. And he didn't deserve to be there. And he had a criminal on one side and a criminal on the other. doesn't really matter what they did, but they deserved to be there. And the one in the middle didn't, and that's the picture of the gospel. He says, I'm coming down, and I'm going to be perfect. I'm not going to deserve death, but I'm going to go to the cross. I'm not going to be killed, but I'm going to give my life. I'm going to sacrifice everything. I'm going to come out of heaven and live on this earth, and I'm going to go to that cross, and I'm going to die between two sinners, two criminals, who deserve to be there, but I'm going to give my life for both of them to be saved. Because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that whosoever would believe would be saved. That whosoever is everybody. Does anybody believe everybody can be saved? That Jesus died for everybody. And everybody's everybody. And so it says that he's got one on the left and one on the right. Let's keep reading. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And he wasn't just talking to the two criminals. He was talking to the people who were killing him and all the people in front of him who were insulting him and making fun of him. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. And I also want to add, and this wasn't in my notes or my thoughts, but I want us to remind, be reminded always, for many here today, I know there's some people that I've heard of that have just started to come, have never heard the gospel. I want you to understand a lot of times when we're preaching and we're giving messages, when you as a believer hear something over and over, don't get angry at that. Realize there's people in here who've never heard it. And they need to hear the simplicity of the gospel. We don't want to talk over people's heads. I can go real deep. I've studied the Bible. I can say a lot of deep stuff, but it doesn't do any good if it goes over your heads. So I want you to understand that on that cross, not only was he dying between two sinners, Jesus, we know from the scriptures, was in a place of hopelessness. Before he even went to that cross, in his flesh said, God, Father, if we can change this, let's do this different. And I want you to understand, for those that are here that are new, those that don't understand what, what Jesus did, so you can fall in love with him tonight, is, is he didn't just die a horrible physical death. Easter's coming up next month. It's actually going to be in March. Last day of March, I believe, early. And we're always going to talk about that, but we've got to understand that on that cross, he, didn't just be, he wasn't just beaten in a crown of thorns and all those things. He took the sins of you and me and those criminals and everyone who's ever lived on the earth and is ever going to live on the earth on his body. He took your guilt, and watch this, not only your guilt and your shame and my sin and our shame, but he took our hopelessness. That feeling that you get, that somebody gets 
That's the worst feeling in the world. That is, I wish I was dead and I could take my life right now. Whether it's with a pill or a gun or jump off a bridge or whatever it is, there's no worse feeling than the feeling of hopelessness that you can't live anymore. And Jesus took that on that cross. The hopelessness that you've ever felt, you know why we can have hope? Because Jesus defeated hopelessness on that cross. So he saved others, they said. He's trying to save them. He's trying to die for them. He's trying to fulfill what he came to do. And they're mocking him and they're making fun of him. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. They're, they're, they're saying exactly what he is, but they're ifing. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews. See, as he's going through this and he's being mocked and this story's happening and Jesus is, is in this place of hopelessness, you've got to understand, he's fully man. I tell you this all the time. Take one of your hands and pinch the other one and feel that. That's flesh. Jesus felt that. When, when, if Jesus was here, he would feel it. He felt pain. Human pain. He was fully God, yet fully human. You know why we can't understand that? Because none of us are. But he was fully God, yet fully human. In other words, we don't know what it is to be God, so we don't have any understanding of that, but we understand very well what it is to be human. And he was fully human. So don't ever think that Jesus doesn't know what you've been through, doesn't understand your hopelessness, hasn't felt what you've felt, hasn't been what you've been through, because he's been through everybody's on that cross. That's the love that Jesus has. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was written in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then, what I want you to see. A man at his last rope, literally. A man who is literally minutes away from ending his life, not by choice, but by death. He, at every breath, we know the story of the cross, they would have to push themselves up to breathe. This man is literally in the most hopeless situation anyone could ever be. And it says, one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him and said, and remember this, I've told you before, if you read the Gospel of Matthew, you'll see that at one point, both of the criminals were mocking him. Not just one, both. Which shows that a person can change. So he blasphemes him and says, if you're the Christ, save yourself and save us. But the other answers and rebukes him. He's in the darkest moment of his life, the darkest moment anybody could be at, at a place where there's no way to get out. He can't get off that cross. He's already been punished. He's already been accused. How many know whether he was guilty or not? He's guilty. He's on that cross and he's going to die. And he says, rebuking the other one, don't you even fear God. But I want you to understand, this is a man who a few minutes earlier, according to the Gospel of Matthew, was saying the same thing. Tell someone next to you, anyone can change. At any moment. In any situation. Do you see that? 
Read it later if you don't believe me. In Matthew, he's mocking him just like him. Don't you even fear God. Guess what this, 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 uh, this uh, man, this criminal is doing? He is recognizing God. He's doing what we all do to be saved. I need a Savior. He's going to prove here that there's always hope because religion would put so many rules on us, so many requirements on us, that we could never go to heaven. Does anybody know that? Well, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, that, and the other. And I'm going to come back to this in a second and tell a quick story I haven't told for a while. Take it down, and when I ask you to put it back up, we'll go to 40. I was talking about this in the small group last night about how I saw firsthand the power and ridiculousness of religion at the old building. Some of you have heard this, many of you haven't. Sunday morning, many years ago at the old building, I'm there early studying, getting ready for the service, knock on the door, the old metal door on Fort Worth Drive, 7 o'clock in the morning, something like that. I go to the door and open it. There's a man, just like today, out of his mind on drugs and alcohol. I mean, he's out of his mind. And I bring him in the church, take him to the altar, and I spend the next hour or so ministering to him, speaking to him, praying for him. I'm not going to say his name for, for, for sake of, of him hopefully watching this, uh, but, but I don't know if he would. But he's, I'm praying for him. I'm, I'm casting the demons out of him. I'm, he's getting set free. And after the prayers, he sobers up. I mean... In his right mind. Clearly, and I mean just like that, just like God can do. So he says, Thank you. And you know, many times when that happens, you never see those people again. But he says, I, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna get my wife and I'm coming back to church. Our church was at 10 then, we only had one service. So I said, Okay, go. I didn't have a whole lot of hope that he was gonna come back. But he did, came back to that service. Sat in the chairs. We had our service. I did the altar call. He came forward and made a public confession of his faith, brought his wife with him. And, and some of you would remember this guy. Some of you remember the situation. Some of you remember the story. And he was just changed. He came back that night, Sunday night. He, he, he came to a fellowship picnic we had. He came for several weeks, every service, with his wife. Happy, changed, delivered, set free. About four weeks in, on a Sunday morning, he comes in with a woman that I figured was his mother, and I knew something was wrong with her. I knew she was up to no good. And they sit through that service, and they leave, and he calls me about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. He says, Pastor, I can't come back to your church. I need you. I'm here talking to my mother's pastor. This guy, I don't know how many years this guy had been on drugs and alcohol. And religion can have you so bound that you would take your son who got his life changed in a church by the power of Jesus Christ and say, it's not our church, so it can't be God. And then go grab your pastor and bring him in and brainwash this man and tell him, I got to leave your church because I, I got to get, and I'm, I'm going to tell you what the church was, Church of Christ. I got to be baptized in the Church of Christ, my mom says. And my pastor says, oh, I'm not saved. Tell me that's not ridiculous. That's religion. The man never came back. I don't know anything about him. I hope to God he's serving God, but I doubt it. 
Because religion kills. Amen? When we put the requirements on people that you got to be in a certain church, you got to do a certain thing, you got to do this a certain way, let God be God and let God change a person's life and transform them and give God the glory for it. Who cares what church it is if it's real? And that was where I had the eye-opening experience to realize what a cult is, what a true cult is. Can you imagine, moms, that you would be so brainwashed that you would hear somebody, that your son that's been on drugs and alcohol get saved and set free and be so blinded that you can't see he's changed? That's what religion does. So back to verse 40. Watch what this says. Do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? The same condemnation. He says, what are you doing? We deserve to be here. He doesn't. Okay? So he's having an eye-opening experience. He's all of a sudden seeing some hope at the end of the tunnel. Amen? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. Watch this. But this man has done nothing wrong. So he's now recognizing him as God, as perfect, and as a Savior. And watch this. Then he says to Jesus, this is what I want you to listen to, and I want you to say this tonight, and I want you to leave saying it. Remember me. Lord, remember me. He's at the most hopeless situation in his life. The absolute end of his rope. And he has a revelation and is able to say, Lord, there's hope. If you'll remember me, my life won't end like, it, like it's supposed to end right now. When you come into your kingdom, and listen, church, look at the gospel right here. Look at verse 43. And Jesus said to him, I assuredly, I say to you, if you get baptized in that church and you do some tithing in that church and you go on outreach in that church and you go visit some people and you go through next step class and you go to a conference and you go to confession and you do this, that, and the other, you can come be in heaven with me. Is that what he said? No, today, I said, assuredly, today, because you believed on me, the hope giver, the person who changes hopelessness to hope, you'll be with me in paradise today. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. There's always hope. Tell that person next to you, there's always hope. No matter what you're going through, there's hope. Write it down. As long as you have breath in your lungs, there is hope. Psalms 33, 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. How many know we're nothing and hopeless without his mercy? I am going to stir up some more demons on Sunday possibly or next Wednesday, and I'm going to preach on once saved, always saved. Because people have been asking me about it. People have been wondering about it. So I'm going to preach on that. When you, when, you, when you preach on things that people have been brainwashed on, it stirs up devils. But you know what? The truth will set you free. And, and we, we have to understand we're hopeless without the mercy of God. Right? How many are thankful for his mercy tonight? Hope, listen to this. Hope means expectancy when other things are otherwise hopeless. In other words, there's, there's just no way out. 
can you go back to the cross with me for a second and see the thief and realize that if anybody could come up to me and tell me a more dire situation, I'd love to hear it. There's no one in the Bible who's in a worse position but had more hope than that thief on the cross. So if you're here today, listen, we do need to pray. We do need to tithe. We do need to come to church. We do need to read the Bible. We, need, we do all those things as, as a thankfulness for what God has done for us. Okay? We do that as fruits of our righteousness to stay holy and right and ready. But that's not what saves us. We are simply saved by grace and mercy, and we don't deserve it. And that's why anybody can come in and get saved. Anybody. And it doesn't matter if you're homosexual. It doesn't matter if you're transgender. It doesn't matter if you're a murderer. It doesn't matter if you're a rapist. It doesn't matter. Any of those things don't matter. Jesus will take you just like you are. And then he'll, he'll change you and make you the person he called you to be. But anybody can change. You say, man, you don't understand the situation my loved one's in. They're so lost. They're already this, that, and the other. Listen, there's still hope for their situation. I could go through this church. I could point. I could tell stories of people that it seemed like there's no way this is going to happen. There's no way this is going to get fixed. There's no way this is going to change. But here you are, changed and transformed and set free and living a life unto God so that God gets the glory, even though it seemed hopeless. How many give me a couple more minutes? Romans 15, 4, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. See, when you read this book, you get hope. You see the stories. You hear the story of the cross and that thief. And you go, if he can be saved, so can I. The last story I want to give tonight, which will be a good lead-in to what I mentioned a few minutes ago, is the prodigal son. Luke 15. I'm going to read just a few verses here, and I'm going to read them fast for time. And as we're going to read this story, I want you to think about hope and hopelessness and what has to happen for a hopeless situation to change. So how many have heard the, the story of the prodigal son? Raise your hand so I know you've heard it. Okay? Many haven't. It's okay. I'm going to tell you it. I'm going to tell you the five-second version, then I'm going to read it. It's a man who has two sons. He's a symbol of the father. The two sons are symbols of, of believers, Christians, people who believe in faith, have, have an inheritance with their father. And one says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. Can you give me everything that belongs to me? I'm going to go do my thing. I'm going to go do my thing on my own. Even though he's in a place where he has everything he needs, I'm going to go do my thing. I'm going to leave you and go do my thing. That's the story of the prodigal son. And we pick it up in verse 11. A certain man had two sons. I'm going to read this fast. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the deeds that fall to me. So he divided them to his livelihood. And not many days after, the, the younger son gathered together, journeyed to a far country, and watched what he did. And as I read these next few words, I want you to realize right there in the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or eight words right there that we're going to read right here is what so many people's lives are. They have messed up. They have messed up to a place where they don't think they can get out of it. That's a hopeless situation. 
He says they wasted his possessions. This, this father gives them all this money. We don't know a time frame, but not very long after, he has nothing left. No home, no car, no food, no money, nowhere to go, like so many people today in the world. And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine. Isn't that what happens when you're hopeless? It gets hopelesser. I just like to make it worse. Gets more hopeless. Amen? So now he's got nothing, and of course, that's what it seems like when everything's going wrong, is we think God's mad at us, and he's punishing us, and maybe he's teaching us, but something's going on, we're like, okay, yeah, yeah, just rain on me, Lord. I, I, I'm, just let the rain fall on me. Have you ever walked around and felt like it just was raining on you? Like the sun was just hitting you, right? So now there's a famine, and he began to want. Now he's beyond you know, need, now he needs his next meal. He needs something to eat. He's in a bad position. He's in a hopeless situation. So he goes and joins himself to a citizen of the country, and the citizen of the country sends him to do the, gre- the greatest job in the world. Everybody's lining up to do. Work with the pigs. Feed the pigs. And he would gladly have, listen to this, he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. So, say, has anybody ever seen pigs? How many, how many maybe were raised around raising pigs? Y'all know what they eat, right? Beyond garbage. Beyond garbage. I don't know if any, I don't want, I'm not, I don't want anybody to raise their hand here, but there may be some people that have been so desperate that you've eaten garbage. Okay, I don't want you to raise your hand. I wouldn't be surprised if there's people in this place that have had that, been that hopeless. He's wanting to eat the garbage, but he can't even eat because no one would let him have it. He's so low that he'll eat the pig's food, but no one gave him anything. So he's more hopeless. But when he came to himself... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and here I am perishing with hunger? How many know if you're going to get hope in your situation, you got to hit rock bottom? Too many times, you got to hit rock bottom. And then some people have hit a rock bottom that they thought was already rock bottom, and you didn't realize you could go more rock bottom. Your rock bottom has a rock bottom. Amen? And that's the place you're at. And that's the place God wants you to be so you can look up and realize there's hope for your situation. Because it would be better to have that situation happen here on this earth than the hopeless situation that will be eternal darkness after you breathe your last breath. Amen? I will arise and I'll go to my father. He comes to his senses and he says, I, I, and here's the key. This doesn't mean everything that you're in tonight that you did. This doesn't mean every situation that you're facing is your fault. But I mean, a lot of times it is our fault. Not always. I'm not saying every time you're in a hopeless situation, you did it. But the truth is, if we're honest, a lot of times it's us. And so what he'd have to do? He had to humble himself 
And he had to admit, Father, I've sinned. In this situation, he's in the situation he's in because he left. I could spend the next five hours, and I could have a bunch of people in here that know us long enough to confirm it, of stories in this church of people who came in and changed their lives. And I mean changed their lives and their marriages and their total transformation. But at some point, they got something in their crawl. And they left. And they got out of the protection of the body of Christ. And they're not in a good place today. That, that's what happens when you don't realize, I'm the one that left. Amen? Y'all still here? There's another message that I need to preach again that tells us about how we need to realize that our miracle in our life is tied to the church that we go to. It's not the church that does it, but it's the place God does the work in. And there's a loyalty that we're supposed to have to the body of Christ and to the church because that's the place that God used for our hopeless situation to change. And there's a connection to the house of God. Amen? And so, I don't know why I'm saying some of this stuff, but I'm sure it's the Holy Spirit. I've, I've sinned against heaven and before you. So he admits, I'm the one that did this. I put myself in this position. And here, I'm humble. I no longer, I'm sure he wasn't looking Adam, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. If you're in here tonight and you think that you're no longer worthy to be a child of God, that's a lie of the devil. You hear me? That's not God. Because God will never tell you you can't come back. If you have a heart that's broken and a heart that's repentive, God will never tell you you can't come back. Okay? Read that story on later. He says, make me like one of your hired servants. I don't deserve to be your son anymore. But you know what? There's a power in humility. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, and I got to finish this because I could go so many ways with this, and had compassion, he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Sandals on his feet. See, right now, tonight in heaven, God is preparing a place for those that would come back. Those that would humble themselves and come back. He's preparing a feast. He's preparing a robe. He's preparing white clothes. He's married to the backslider. He loves everyone. He never gives up on us. And he'll love us all the way to hell if we choose to go to hell. Let me know it's a choice. Being hopeless is a choice. Being hopeful is a choice. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this was, this my son was dead, but now he's alive. Tell the person next, you were dead. You were hopeless, but now you're alive. Amen? And they began to be merry. How many know we should be merry tonight? We should be happy. For homework, read Romans 8. Take it home with you. I don't have time. We need to close. We need to have some time at the altar. Read Romans 8 if you want to get exactly 18 to 25. I had that left in my notes. Write this down again. As long as you have breath in your lungs, there's hope. You need to look at your brother. You need to look at your sister real brother, sister. You need to look at your brother and sister in the world 
in, the, in Christ. You need to look at your son, your daughter. You need to look at your mom, dad. You need to look at your neighbor. You need to look at your coworker with hope. You know what we need to learn to do? We need to learn to tell people there's hope for your situation and not, hey, you should do this, that, and the other. Stop trying to fix people and tell them there's hope. They need hope before they need the fix. Can I get an amen? They just need to know there's hope. We don't always have to have the answer. I had no real answer for this guy today. I can't give him a job. I don't have any work for him. I, don't, I can't change his situation as a sex offender. I can't do any of that. But you know what I could tell him? God can change your situation. And I said it with a belief that God can. And if he'd have came in, maybe he'll come Sunday. Maybe he'll come to breakaway. Maybe, I don't know. Whoever comes can change. And if you'll begin to, if you're new here and you're starting to come, if you'll just begin to start listening, taking notes and writing things down and saying, God, I've, I've messed up enough. Now it's time to listen. I've tried my hardest on my own and I haven't gotten where I want to go. I'm going to give you the chance you deserve to teach me. And when you let God take over, you know the song we sang earlier? I surrender. That's the first step. I surrender. Just surrender. I can't do this on my own, God. I've, I've made enough mistakes on my own. I need your help. I'm hopeless, but you are the hope giver. Amen? Proverbs 23, 18 in the Amplified. Let's just put this up to close. For surely there is a ladder and a future, sorry, ladder end. In other words, there's, there's going to be an ending, and it's a future and a reward, and your hope and expectation shall not be cut off. In other words, if you will hope tonight, God will never let you down. Do you believe that? People will let you down. People will fail you. God won't. Do not put your hope in people. Do not put your hope in things. Put your hope in Jesus alone. And watch what God can do. Watch the testimony he can build. And then watch all the people you can reach when you tell them, listen, I've been where you've been. I've been in that situation. You know why I had all y'all stand up tonight? So everybody could realize we all got a lot of problems. We're messed up. Or we were. I'm here thankful that you were, but you're not anymore. You were, as Ephesians says, you were that person. You were dead, but now you're alive. Father, thank you. Let's give the Lord a hand. Amen. Let's give him praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. As nobody's moving around, your reverence to the Lord, the Holy Spirit's here. The spirit of hope is here. You may not have hope for your situation tonight. As you're listening to me right now, you may be hard-headed. You might have listened to everything I just said, and you still might think, you don't know my situation. And you're right, I don't know it. But let me tell you something. I know God can change your situation. I know there's hope for your situation. But you got to believe that. 
I can't believe it for you. I, I want to. I'm preaching faith to you. But you got to believe I can change. you got to believe things can turn around. you got to believe there's hope. And if you'll just be like that thief on the cross and come to terms with the fact that there's no hope other than putting your hope in Jesus, he'll turn things around. That, that man had no plan B, no way out. All he could do was say, Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me. Tonight, in your desperation for your family member, for yourself, for your neighbor, for your mom or dad, or whoever it is you're praying for, whoever it is you're believing for, just say, Lord, remember them. Sometimes it's a simple, sincere prayer that gets a hold of God's heart and changes us. Tonight, it's not about the name of a church. It's not about a denomination. It's not about any of that. It's about a relationship with the one who died on the cross for our sins. Do you notice, church, as you're listening to me, that that, there's no mention of what the belief was of that thief? Those things probably didn't exist, but he wasn't a member of the Methodist church or the Baptist church or the the Catholic church or... He just knew he was a sinner. And he knew he was standing in front of God. Lord, remember me. Tonight, that's the only prayer you got to do to be saved. Lord, remember me. I believe you're God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe I can go to heaven. And Jesus will look back to you and he'll say tonight what he said to that thief today. You will be with me in paradise. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed all across this place, and there's a spirit of reverence here, and the Holy Spirit is is working on people. He's peeling back layers in your hearts of past hurts and past feelings and past failures and past sins. He's getting to you, the core of who you are. He says, I died for you on the cross. Accept me, receive me, believe in me, and I'll change you. How many all across this place, heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, right now under the influence of the power of the Holy Spirit could admit tonight, I need to be saved. I need to put my faith in Jesus like that thief on the cross did and ask him, Lord, would you remember me? If that's you, just put up your hand. And put it right back down. All over this place. Quickly. I see your hand. God bless you. How many more? That's me. It's not about changing religions, church memberships. It's about giving your life to God, to Jesus. Surrendering your hopeless situation to somebody who can change it in an instant. In an instant, God can change it. It may take a while to get to the, all the details worked out, but he can change your situation right now. He's able. The Bible says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can even ask or think. He wants to do more for you than you even want God to do. But you need to get out of your thinking that you're not worthy, that God doesn't love you anymore, that you've gone too far, that you've made too many mistakes. You need to read your Bible and see that it's full of people who messed up. And they came 
back and were better than they were before. Now, how many in this place tonight you know Jesus? But you've been running from the truth. You've been running from the call. You've been running from doing what God's asked you to do. Your, your nature is to do things that your flesh wants to do. You're not pleasing God with your life tonight. You believe in him. You even love him. But you're not showing him your love through your actions. You're disobeying him. And you're not happy tonight. You're, you're wrestling in your spirit because you're not living in obedience to God. And you're in a place of hopelessness. And when you're not hopeful, you're sick. How many could be honest as heads are bowed? I'm not going to embarrass you tonight. Nobody's looking around, but you could be honest to God and say, I need, I need to get back on track. I've been drifting. Just let God know tonight. Tell God, that's me, Lord. And he knows. And when we open up these altars, come spend some time at a chair or on the altar and say, God, remember me. Remember me tonight because I want to get right back on track to where you want me to be. Let's stand all across this place. As you stand, how many still believe like we did in the beginning? There's hope. Man? You might think, well, just been here for like a half an hour. My situation hasn't changed. Maybe it has. Starts right here. Starts right here. Believing it can change. Believing that God can move. That guy was still in that pigsty when he came to his senses and said, I don't need to be here. God's got something better for me. And God was already preparing the heart of the Father. God's already, God's already working on your decisions before you even make it. As soon as you make it, he's working. You don't see it, but you just, I was telling someone yesterday, you just follow up one good decision with another one. And then you follow up that good decision with another good decision. And then when you make a bad one, you follow up that bad decision with another good decision. And you just keep doing that and watch where God will take you. Let's open up these altars. Let's find a place to pray. If you're new to the church, coming to the altar, hopeless, dead in my sins. But tonight I look on you, the author and the finisher of my faith. I believe you are God. I believe you came from heaven, lived a perfect, sinless life, and died on the cross for me. Shed your blood to satisfy God. And you went into the grave, but you didn't stay there. Three days later, you broke out of that grave in resurrection power. And because of that resurrection power, I will live forever in eternity with you. Because I believe that. I accept that. And I receive your forgiveness. Change me tonight. Make me a new creation, a new person. Give me a new mind. And from this day forward, I'm going to live for you and glorify you and honor you and tell people there's hope for their situation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. If you want to hear more messages, please subscribe to our podcast channel. And if you like it, consider rating it and sharing it with your friends. For more content from VWO Denton, go to our website at vwotexas.com.